Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nuke Chess, and we've got a special episode for of Nutty Bites for you today. We have some friends that we haven't talked to in a while. And when I say a while, I'm talking pre-pandemic. So we are excited. We're going to be talking to the guys at S&T Geotronics. But with me, as always... Hi, I'm still tech. And we've got Mark and James with us. Mark, James, why don't you uh, just kind of introduce yourselves to to the listeners, just in case uh, some of them were not listening back on the previous episodes you've been on. Hi, I'm still James. <laughs> and I'm Mark. And together we are S&T Geotronics. We like to make gadgets, replicas of old computers and special devices. Yeah. This time, though, we've got something a little bit off the cuff because it actually doesn't use any electricity. So to refresh our to refresh our uh, our listeners' minds, the first time we talked, I was cr- uh, scrolling around on the internet and found that somebody was remaking an Enigma machine using modern hardware. And being a nerd, as much of a nerd as I am, that got us in contact with you guys, and we had a great conversation about your Open Enigma project. And then a few years later, you guys decided that wasn't good enough, and you guys decided to recreate the navigation system of an Apollo capsule, the Disky, using open source, uh, open hardware, and um, open code, um, a which was another amazing success for you guys. And now, I don't know what you were thinking, but it's like both of those are way too modern, not nearly cool enough, not nearly vague or obscure enough, and you decided to... I have to let you guys intro this because I have been rummaging around on the internet trying to figure out how to pronounce this. <laughs> and my and my Greek sucks. So go ahead guys, what are you working on now? All right. Well, this is uh, the very very first mechanical computer ever created. It's uh, 2000 years old. It was built uh, somewhere around 150 before Christ, and it's called the Antakatira Mechanism. So the Antakatira Mechanism got its name because it was found at the bottom of the ocean uh, 100 years ago in uh, 1901 uh, off an island of Greece called Antakatira. So not knowing uh, what it was, they just named it for the uh, island where it was found. And it took uh, 50 years before uh, someone uh, called uh, Direct the Solar Price uh, discovered or studied the uh, fragments that were found, and he figured out that it was a computer to tell the position of the planets and forecast the, the next uh, moon and solar eclipses. And it, when you see the pictures of what they actually discovered off the bottom of the uh, of the ocean next, you know, off this island off the coast of Greece, uh, it it it's a corroded hunk of gears. It kind of looks like the inside of a clock, but it's just a bunch of brass gear, brass and copper gears, you know, um, in you know, corroded because it's been sitting at the bottom of the ocean for two thousand years, and then trying to figure out what this means. But it, it you know, it is the the first mechanical computer. Um, it, it's kind of like a kind of like a clockwork Stonehenge, I guess, if you want to think about it that way. That it allows you to predict the position of the 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 sun, the moon, and the stars, and then you can use that to navigate because that's what that's that's how you 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 would navigate back then. But um, how does one go about? Okay, so so what's next? Okay, so we have this thing at the bottom of the ocean. How does that turn into? I want to make one. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, actually, uh, 
I probably had no intention of making one. Okay. Right. A, uh, a mentor of ours and uh, somebody that uh, is uh, a, a friend of uh, the company uh, suggested uh, that uh, it could be a nice project for us as uh, it's got all of the uh, retro uh, tech vibe and uh, I think he wanted one for himself and could not find it anywhere. <laughs> so uh, he suggested it, and uh, I brought uh, the idea to uh, to James. And like James said, uh, was not really uh, motivated by uh, by getting into this. And then uh, after uh, discussing it and a few beverages, uh, we decided to uh, give it a go. So uh, yeah, good Canadian rye. <laughs> There you go. That 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 fuels the best ideas. Right. Canadian <laughs> rye is the cause of and the solution to every problem I've had as an adult. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, this is interesting compared to your previous projects because your previous projects were all kind of built on the Arduino board and system, and this does not include that at all. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not yet is the correct uh, <laughs> word. Yeah, but we're thinking about it. Um, actually, the anti-cathera device, if you think about it, you know, back in the days of Archimedes, and I'm going to blame Archimedes for this thing. Because he deserves all the blame. Archimedes is probably one of the characters that was at large during that time that had the facilities to, to pull it off. You know, the skills, the intelligence, the math to beyond what we have today, but let's think about being in Archimedes' time for a moment. So in Archimedes' time, there was no electric lights, there was no television set, there was no internet, no podcasts, no, um, a few books that he'd wrote, probably himself, but, you know. No distractions. No distractions. So what did Archimedes do at night? Well, he sat out there in his sundial, and he looked at the stars, and probably looked across the pointer of his sundial, And, and figured out the angle of the stars and the planets and all that. And he realized very quickly that he could write mathematical formulas to predict where the planets were. But actually, I don't think that, that he used the device to predict where the planets were. He would go out there and he would see where the planets were, and then he'd crank the device around until it represented what he saw in the sky. And then he would look at the other dials on it, and it would tell him, stuff like when the next eclipse was going to be and when to plant the crops and and where to, you know. It was like a Greek farmer's almanac, actually. Right. And um, I think that's where people have a disconnect in the, in the usage of it. I think it actually was a farmer's almanac that told him eclipses and, the, and stuff, and he would just take and move it around until the needles pointed to where the planet was in the celestial heavens. So to our, to our listeners who can't see the video, I was just watching Mark there uh, turn the crank and watching all of the all of the dials move across the uh, across the face of the Winters device. Yeah. Thing. yeah, and then we can see the uh, you know all of the all of the different positions there. Um, man, I'm just looking at this, and all I see is a giant mechanical middle finger to all the flat earthers. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, two two thousand years ago, I built a I built a a round Earth model, and I could, uh, you know, I built it, and I can predict. And oh, there's the back of the thing. Oh, that there's is the so one cool. that you can see through. Nice. Oh, wow. 
Actually, we should take this film off yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. I don't and know that, how we're uh, film off the inside of it. But. It's a, it's a. Cl- what I'm looking at here is a clockwork of uh, cl- uh, clear Lexan gears. Yeah, the clear uh, gears are amazing. Yeah, that looks so cool. Unfortunately, the clear gears are made of acrylic, and they kind of aren't sturdy enough to really facilitate what it needs to facilitate. Because acrylic is uh, very brittle, so it breaks easily, and some of these gears have 223 teeth. Or 221, or 219, or... 187. So now we're making them out of Delrin. Okay. It actually... It actually turns fairly well. We're mounting it on tiny little bearings. Those are that's an MR or an MF fifty two ZZ bearing on either end of the shaft. And that's a significant departure from uh, what uh, Archimedes may have used, of course. But it allows for a frictionless uh, movement, and it makes the uh, our device unique in that uh, it's really really smooth to spin those fifty two mesh gears together can create friction. There's a piece of it that we're assembling. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. And the reason I said I really didn't want to make it is because actually this thing represents about 3,000 hours of CAD work. We had had to draw all the gears and plot all the bearings. And and, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. And you're a lot older now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a decade older and... and, um, you know, been through COVID twice and the brain fog. Oh, uh, yeah, I, the, I feel you. The zombie brain fog. So, so would you? So, uh, given the amount of time you've put into this, would you say this was harder than your your previous projects? Because I remember, I remember when we talked about the open disky that you guys had all kinds of problems, even coming up with you know segmented LEDs that had enough segments to make the funny shapes. That, that, that you know, to make the symbols that you needed and how much of a challenge that was. So was this more of a challenge than Disky or Open Enigma? Or? So because we're normally doing electronics, uh, I feel that in with circuits, with electronics, uh, and James, correct me if I'm wrong, but ooh, we can skin that cat. We, we, right. we figured out uh, what we need to do or how we need to do it. Uh, gears is a whole different story and uh, james is designing every single gear by hand and uh put, figuring out the size and the teeth profile and so on yeah well you know we have boxes and boxes if you look at our website please at, do at yes please do dot com. at the bottom of the page there's a picture of mark and i and we're at a table that is completely covered with with junk gears, gears that didn't work for some reason or another. <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, the graveyard. Yeah, um, you know, and and version control. We have two different versions of it. We're doing. We're doing one we call an upfront that is just the uh, orrery. It just does the planet thing. It doesn't actually have the connecting to go back and drive the 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 almanac book on the back of it Uh, because it's a neat thing. You can hang it on the wall and it looks neat. And, and the planets do move according to their, their uh, wobbly orbits. And uh, and it's kind of neat. And, but now we're kind of working on getting the, the full device uh, refined. And uh, yeah, it's a big project. Eventually we may put a stepper motor in it. 
controlled by an Arduino with a uh, 2004 LCD display. So you can tell it what date you want the uh, device to show you the position of the planet. And then the uh, stepper will turn, will crank. Oh, wow. The, uh, crank the, the handle around. until it gets to that date. <laughs> I just had the idea that that you you need to connect it to Open Disky so that <laughs> I could then plot the position of Mars and then fly me to Mars. There you okay, go. Okay, okay, okay. We still to this day do not endorse the Open Disky <laughs> being launched being used in any way, shape, or form to launch navigate your <laughs> DIY rocket. Oh, Please. you got to put that disclaimer out there. You got to put that disclaimer out there. It's out there. It's out there. <laughs> In no way, shape, or form shall SCT Geotronics be responsible for the fail of your DIY rocket <laughs> using our device as a guidance system. <laughs> and, and, and as much as we are laughing about this, you know, there are people that have tried to do this. So, like, seriously. Hey, don't... hey look, if NASA can make it to the moon on slide rules... <laughs> I, I can make it to the moon on two Arduino boards and some clockwork mechanisms found at the bottom of the Aegean Sea. So, I have a question about the planets. I'm looking on your website and it says that there are seven dials for the planets. So does that mean that you're tracking seven planets? Uh, five. So th- there were okay, five, so five. Uh, uh, naked eye visible planets back in the day, which are the, the first five coming from the sun. And then uh, you got a date uh, pointer. And the uh, sun pointer. Oh, and okay. of course, it also tracks the uh, rotation of the moon. So yeah. it shows you the phases of the moon currently. I, I was curious about that because I was thinking there were five on the original. Were you were you improving upon it and adding to new <laughs> planets? Or okay, so it is still the the authentic the five planets that are visible by the naked eye. From from the original machine or mechanism, they call it. That is correct. Awesome. And I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, what makes our uh, reproduction uh, unique or special is that a lot. Well, th- there hasn't been many uh, replicas in made, English, but yeah. <laughs> in English, some, some of the other replicas do not have all five planets. So uh, by going the distance. And including all five planets and the uh, the position of the sun, the rotation of the moon, uh, it is uh, more faithful than uh, some other replicas that have. Uh, and uh, and James just showed you we're also coming up with our English translation. So uh, yeah, Mark Junior, actually Matthew. Yeah, my son Matthew uh, is a collaborator on the project, and he came up with the uh, the English version. Oh, the thing there. Uh, it's just the uh, oh, picture yeah. with the gears that. Uh, yeah, that's the picture of the gears <laughs> that Nerti shared to the screen. Yeah. Everything that you've shown us so far, like the front face and then all of the gears, it is all so beautiful. So you've shown us there is a um, there's the brass version that you see on the website. Then there's the acry- or brass fronted at least, and then there's the acrylic fronted one that uh, you've shown us here. But it is also in your final uh, front assembly uh, video as well. And then you just showed us one where it's the brass, but it's encased in wood as well. Yes, that's have- our that, that's our ultimate package. That's, that's the end product. That's the end product. The complete product. 
And all of these uh, will be visible on our uh, website when this uh, podcast uh, airs. This one actually has a trick. It's kind of difficult to do, but it actually, this is actually an acrylic one. Yeah. And what James is doing right now, he's removing the skin. So the is actually a skin that's over an acrylic front panel that uh, actually has a Delrin a Delrin gear set in it. That is that, gorgeous. I guess Delrin it means damn near indestructible. You Sounds can hit a Delrin right. gear with a hammer and the hammer will lose. Yeah. So what James just did is he's got the wooden frame with the brass front on it and the brass front is actually in two pieces and you can pop out part of it and then see the acrylic front so that you can see through and see how all of the gears are working. And it's just gorgeous. Like to my mechanical brain, like to me, that is art. Thank you. One of the one of the really cool things about your projects that I love is that depending on the level, like in the previous Kickstarters, depending on the level that, that you supported, it it's as simple as I get a build sheet or I get a I get a bag of parts and I can assemble it myself all the way up to you know the ultimate package where it's built for me in a wooden display box with you know all of the all of the gubbins already done. And I love that you guys work open source and open hardware that you know, I can get the schematics from from S and T, and I can you know solder the, the 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 solder the thing together myself if if I so choose. Um, are you guys going to do the same thing with this one? And most importantly, why is this important to you guys? All right, Tech, uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Kickstarter and uh, our open source philosophy because that's exactly what we're doing. So uh, when this uh, episode airs, the uh, instructable for the uh, Antakatero mechanism will be live, and uh, we're calling it hacking the Antakatero, hacking, hacking the two thousand year old computer. computer. <laughs> and uh, indeed, we're giving everything away uh, as always. So uh, here's the bill of material, make it yourself. Here's the specs every every gear, the DXF files, the STL files. If you want to 3D print them, and then we will offer it as uh, kits at various levels, all the way to the ultimate and complete uh, unit that, uh, and like James mentioned earlier, we have two different devices. We have the front only, so you can hang it on your wall, uh, and it's got the five planets, the sun, and the the moon, or, and we call that the upfront, and then we have the full device that's got both sides, the front and back, so you got the uh, prediction of the eclipses and the... uh, location of the next uh, Olympic Games and so far, and we call that the full Monty. So uh, what's interesting is the front only requires 26 gears, and to get the back going, it's another 26 gears. So uh, the meshing of these 52 gears uh, that's got to connect with each other and and provide as little friction as possible, I uh, to do it with bearings today uh, is... Um, it's somewhat obvious that it can be done and uh, will 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 work. But how did he uh, do it uh, two thousand years ago with uh, the crude tools that they had at the time? That uh, amazes me how the machine could be uh, winded or cranked and uh, with with relatively uh, low friction. Well, back then they had craftsmen. You know, the Swiss watch back in the day was craftsmanship. They yeah. they attention to detail and people but we know that the average person today doesn't have that much time on their hands so 
We are going to have an instructable. Right now, there's a Kickstarter running on the Open Cathera device that uh, is somebody else's. Not open. On or, the, no. On yeah. The, yeah, on it's, the Antikythera. On the Antikythera. It's, it's not open. And there are, uh, a bunch of guys are trying to sell their 3D files. So we're holding off on the instructable until they're done because uh, I don't want to interfere with another maker, really. Mm-hmm. Right. And, That's fair. Um, yeah. And we don't see them as competition or enemy. They're just uh, fascinated by the same thing that uh, fascinates us. So uh, we, we wish them success. Yeah, yeah. We hope they're going to be successful. But anyways, uh, we were actually planning on having an instructable. And in the instructable, we're going to give away all of our laser files and all of our 3D files. And uh, if you have a laser or a 3D printer, uh, we're going to have a 3D printed version, and then we'll have a, a version for people that have a laser. And uh, hopefully, a bunch of makers will, will make them for themselves. And probably there will be some people that say, oh, I just want one, and I want it now, and they'll hmm. want to buy one from us. And that's the way it usually works. That's the way the Enigma worked. I think there's, what, 10 people that actually made Enigmas? Of uh, Yes. That from, followed our Instructable? Yeah, from the Instructable. And made an enigma, and um, those people we have the ultimate respect for, and we we supported them. And Mark answered questions, and I answered questions about how we did this and that. Um, and by now we have two hundred and some uh, twenty two hundred and twenty people who build the kits, and uh, two hundred and thirty two units that we uh, handcrafted ourselves yeah. and shipped around the world. Oh wow! That's amazing. Of the enigma. Of the enigma. Yeah. But, uh, and there's probably about that many with the D-Ski. I don't know if they, there's been some people that have uh, taken our D-Ski and, and elevated it. Yeah. There's one guy that made an elevated version. Um, he was trying to sell it for like two grand on eBay at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he lucked up and sold it or whatever. But he had uh, actually refined it. He had uh, made a more true-to-life D-Ski than what we did. Mm-hmm. And um, he he made it pretty and painted it and gave it a finish where it actually really looked very genuine. Um, we we have uh, manufactured we have created 132 these keys uh, so far that we shipped around the world and uh, uh, 110 kits that uh, we shipped. That's fantastic. And I love, I love the whole concept of everything that you, you two do is it is, this is open source. We're going to give you the instructables. We'll, and like you said, you even answered questions when people were building it themselves, you know, as much fun as you had designing it. How, what kind of a high is it when you get somebody giving you that feedback of this is so amazing. I want to spend the next year working on this thing that you've already done. Or like you said, the one guy uh, added a lot of heart and soul to it and, and was adding even more to it. Like does, what is that feeling that you've sparked that maker passion? To tell you the truth, that that's my drug. That's what I, uh, I, uh, I, I'm looking for. That's what uh, it's a high. That's I, that's the crack right yeah, there. Yeah, that's the crack right there. And uh, yeah, I can't get enough of it. So uh, yeah. No, I, I totally know what you guys are saying. Like years ago, I used to work in a, a flight simulator community, 
And as much fun as it was building imaginary airplanes and building, you know, versions of real airplanes in a simulator, it was so much more fun to work collaboratively with other people that can, you know, call you out on your on your silliness or find a mistake that you made or, you know, just just, you know, pat you on the back when you or kick you in the butt when you need kicking. <laughs> and, you know, I, I find that I, I agree with you guys so much. I love that collaborative aspect of, you know, working together to solve a problem, to make a to make a thing. And, you know, as a I'm a technologist by trade, I work with mechanical engineers. Uh, so I, I got to say, I understand this um, device just innately a lot more than your other two. Like uh, you guys said, you know, you work with radios. So electronics is is easy. Clockwork, something completely different for me. It's the inverse. It's like, oh, it's, it's clockworks. It's gear ratios. It's a drivetrain. I get it. Uh, you know, resoldering seven segment LEDs and then putting in resistors and resistor color codes and like my brain just pours out of my ears as I, as I, as, as I try to remember DC theory from high school and just no thanks. <laughs> but this is awesome. So, so you both knew about uh, the Antikythera mechanism before uh, talking with us or when did you found out uh, of its I, existence? I, re I read about it in a book. As a kid, I I used to love. I had these big, big books of uh, uh, you know, stories about everything, or how does the world work, or you know. And there was always a thing in there. They would show a picture of them, you know, pulling it fresh out of the Aegean, and it's you know, it's all covered in in rust and corrosion. And they would talk about it, but like the books were old enough that they're like, we still don't know what it is. We think it's a type of clock or some type of navigational computer. Maybe it's an oven timer. We don't know. <laughs> Uh, for me, I had to Google it. I had to Google it. And, and I, I, as I'm Googling it, I said to tech, I said, Hey, this is, this is the word. I think it's, I don't remember how I tried to pronounce it. I'm sure it was terrible because I am terrible at pronunciation, but I'm like anti Kythera and, and text just starts going, Oh my God, this is amazing. So I Google and I start exploring, but there are things that once I started investigating and, and reading the story, I said, I heard something about this before because um, back in university, I did a lot of um, study of Greek myths and legends. And I think there was something going on like there there was something there that I have like a vague, fuzzy memory. And then also I'm always very interested in I just recently uh, did a project where I was drawing very cutesy versions of all the different planets. And when I was doing Uranus, I went down a rabbit hole of it being the first planet that was identified by telescope because everything else was only by the naked eye. And there was something about this device back that when in my, in my research there. So I've kind of brushed shoulders with it, but did not know the, the story as well as tech for sure. And then as soon as, you know, you reached out to me, I, I just, I've been reading about it because the idea of taking just those fragments, if you look at the fragments, and then saying, oh, this is a machine. Let's put it together. Like, that is amazing to me. So Tech is uh, sharing a uh, an image of a yes. device that's got a certain number of gears. 
What are we looking at? So that is that is called the Bav- the Babbage difference engine. That was the first uh, mechanical uh, calculator. Okay. It, it yes. um it's it, it, it's also I guess it, me throwing the gauntlet down because the last time we talked when you guys did Open Disky, I sort of put a challenge about um you know the astro navigational computer that uh, that the Air Force was using back in the fifties, and uh, now you guys want to get into clockwork. Well, then fine. The, <laughs> the, the the difference engine to me is fascinating because you set the gears at the beginning for like the the numbers that you want to multiply or divide. You turn the hand crank and then it spits out the answer at the end of just a chain of gears and it m- mechanically solves mathematical problems. This is the technology from about the 1880s. I have seen versions of this done at uh, like Lego conventions where someone made one out of Mecano. Yeah, with yeah, with, a, yeah. with, a, with electric motors. But if you think back to you know World War II, Alan Turing's uh, you know bomb and the Cyclops and like those early mechanical computers, they're not very different from this, just running electrically instead of instead of uh, of of a hand crank. But uh, oh man, James, if if fifty if fifty two gears and a couple bearings pissed you, <laughs> pissed you off, oh man, are you in for a headache with this one? Well, the good thing about that one is, is that there's lots of pieces in that that are the same. Right. True. Exactly. Once you once you've solved one stack, you just multiply it. Right. So the the that that's a that's a manageable problem. In in the in the anti-Katera, um there are some redundant gears. Like there's about four gears that all have sixty teeth, and uh, I made a batch of them on the laser. Of course. Something went wrong in the hole in the middle of the gear. The hub of the gear wasn't in the center, so I had to remake them. Uh, but uh, but most of the pieces of the, the anti-Katera are all unique. And so there's probably, by the time we're done, going to be 300 or so individual finite pieces that have to be managed. Yeah. And so if if I've got let's say I had a um like a hobbyist level 3D printer or a hobbyist level laser cutter, I've got 300 pieces to make. If I press print, like how many lunar cycles go by before I get my machine? Like how how long does it take to how long do you figure it would take like a a hobbyist to uh make his pieces and assemble his machine? Um well, a lot of the pieces take, you know, there's a lot of a lot of pieces that take, say, 30 or so minutes. For example, this gear here, this Jupiter gear, right, with the with the axle that the, the hands go on, they're they're concentric. All these things are concentric. Where you have the these sun rods and 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 Mercury rods and Venus rods probably take 40 minutes to print. Um, it's manageable for someone that, that wants to do it. Of course, if you have a modest farm of printers, I've got six printers over there. <laughs> a modest farm. You know, the time-consuming part is making all these brass axles. There's oh, yeah. the axle that actually drives the moon oh, around. Yeah. It goes through the whole thing on the... They, they need to be cut and milled on a, a late or... A... If you look back behind Mark yeah. over there. Yeah. You can see that there's a lathe sitting. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and we have to make all these tiny little axles on that lathe. Oh man. And so the the thing about machine work is is, is that if you have a four inch shaft a shaft that's or 
Y'all are Canadian. If you have an 80 millimeter shaft <laughs> or 120 millimeter shaft, right? The tolerance that um, you have about 25 hundredths of a millimeter tolerance that it can be off and still be in spec. But when you're making a two millimeter shaft, um, you got about two hundredths of a millimeter that you got to be within for it to be good. Ooh. So, yeah. and that's uh, that that is that is one heck of a one heck of and then and then uh, you know tolerance stacking because if I'm off if I'm off two hundredths of a millimeter at one end of my drivetrain multiplied by fifty two gears to get to the other end and now I'm off by a country mile exactly that's the problem yes oh yeah so to exactly. answer your uh, previous question how much time uh, we expect a uh, a client of ours to uh, make his own uh from scratch by uh, using our instructable and so on i would say hours yeah i i was going to say a two-week project kind of thing uh he he spends a a fair amount of time every day on it for us we believe we can crank a unit out in one day right approximately probably if if we uh, have everything made yeah if we have everything uh i haven't fully managed making the brass axles yet i have we're still actually i don't know for the upfront, I can probably crank one out. Well, how do I put it? I make more than one device worth of axles at a time when I make them. Yeah. So I want to make this axle and make this axle and make this axle and make this axle and get a drawer full and then make another axle until yeah, I yeah, want to use sandwich. And that just, that just makes sense with a mill or a lathe. I mean, setup takes so much time that once you're exactly. set up for an operation, you may as well repeat it and, and do a whole batch's worth before you have to reset the machine. Exactly. Right. But someone that, that goes on the website and goes to the sketches and gets the drawings. So we have, the drawings here. I've, oh. I've made a drawing, a mechanical drawing of each axle. Oh, that's yep. awesome. And um, yep. they're all going to be published. And there's just a whole, a whole thick thing of pages here. These are the ones I have sitting by the lathe, and I pick the one up I want to make, and then I make that axle just for my own sanity, so I can remember what I'm doing. COVID, you know, mind fog. <laughs> I, 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 I only had COVID once. And it was after being, you know, what double, triple boosted, whatever it was. And it absolutely killed me. And I'll tell you, my brain is not the same. So uh, twice and, and I don't know when you got it, but oh, I, I, you have my sympathy. Yeah. Mefloquin, Mefloquin in 2004 and now COVID in uh, 2022. Um, I'm glad I remember which way's up most days. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Now Uh, the question I have is not about producing another one when did you start working on this before covid <laughs> i had i had a feeling it was a while yeah i, I thought i heard yeah. you say something at the beginning you know 10 years no 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 no, no. Oh, no. Okay. um more like two two and a half years yeah yeah we had some interruptions in between there sure yeah uh, COVID. i actually you know, have other passions have other passions i would like to 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 make some tube amps and some stuff like that. And I mean tube amps are just cool. And when he says I'd like to make some tube amps, he's already made seven. So there's seven <laughs> he wants tube to amps. Make that... More tube amps. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh well, I don't know. Each 
each unit uh, needs to answer a question and uh, deliver a, a certain sound to, uh, to yeah. meet James' uh, specs. So the, the argument came at one point, you know, why are you doing this? I said, for high fidelity. Anyways, and he, he came across a Bose wave radio, and he's like, you could just get a Bose wave radio. You don't have to go. I said, this sounds way better than the Bose wave radio does. Oh, yeah. And we did the side-by-side uh, comparison, and uh, absolutely, no, absolutely. Uh, no, no contest. Wave radio sounds yeah. muddy as the speakers on this computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's only so much that you can do, right? And there's... and that the the older technology had had something, you know. Sometimes, yeah, we can move away from an older technology because we've improved upon it, but sometimes it still has something special and value to give. And like you said, you compared it side by side with the bows and it's no comparison. That's like this anti-cathera. There's people that say that, well, there's no way that it could possibly ever be accurate. That's true. And to a point, first of all, you have to be at, um, what is it? 35 35 degrees latitude for it to work correctly. And um, so that means up there in Ottawa, probably not so much accurate. No, no but if I was in Greece. <laughs> yeah. You're in Greece. Now here in, 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 Georgia. Columbus, in Columbus, Georgia, we're only two degrees off. So yeah. we're pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. That's not actually. Bad. We're actually at uh, 32 degrees over here. So, yeah. pretty. And, pretty and then you get the, the guy that says, well, Archimedes thought that he was at the center of the universe. Well, gee whiz, I'm an American. My belly button's right here. That's where the center of the universe is. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Archimedes was right. He wasn't the center (laughs) of the universe. That that gets into the whole philosophy perspective, right? Like, are you the center of the universe? Well, from my perspective, yes, I am. Uh, This is the center of the universe. There's this, uh, there's this trend that I've been trying to buck in, in my world and in the mechanics that I work in that just because it's old doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Mm hmm. Okay, so the, all, of the, all of the magazines and the websites, every month there's a new issue that's going to come out that's going to try to sell you the new hotness because it's 10 grams lighter and it's blue instead of green this year, and therefore it's better. So get rid of all your old stuff and buy the – well, what's wrong with – you know, I have tools in my toolbox that were uh, – you know, that, that are tools that my grandfather had to fix his tractor back in the 1940s. That wrench still works. That square is still a true 90 degree angle that I still use when I'm, you know, when I'm working around in my hobby shop. I have, you know, uh, tools in my collection that were made in 1889. They sure. still work. Absolutely. Um, the other, uh, I, I went home a few weeks ago to my father's house and we were renovating his basement and he had gone upstairs to do something and he left me to my own devices in the basement to work on the library. And I look over against the wall and there's the record player and the tower and the tower speakers that have been in that basement since before I was born and then rummage through the vinyl, find an old album from the seventies that I really enjoy, pop the album on. And here I, does an MP3 sound better? Ooh, that's a debate we can have, but uh, man, there's nothing like the sound of vinyl. No, no contest. And actually, if you want to go, if you happen to find my instructable on tube amp in and instructables it's kind of hard to find now because it's old i actually address what actually goes on in a tube amp but but um that that's hardly here or there i'm just saying that 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 old technology was cool because people had 
a way of doing things that uh, was efficient and uh, prudent. And long-lasting. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, um, computers, you know, um, back in the day we had 32K of memory and, or 64K of memory, and we played games and we wrote stuff. And, and now we have, well, this piece of junk you're on here has, I think, <laughs> 16 gigs. The damn thing over there I use for the CAD has 32 or 64 gigabytes of memory on it. And um, are we any better off? Well, you know, a game a game of Tetris will run on like 64K. I have games now that are multiple hundreds of gigabytes. Are they any more fun? No, but they look uh, no, really, really cool. They look really cool. Tetris is the number one game ever. That's why. <laughs> but people are always, you know, for instance, you were saying, well, you have to be on the 35 uh, parallel there in order for it to be accurate. Okay, look, a Rolex or a Patek Philippe is going to lose time. They are Swiss made. They are the best watches out there. They are still going to lose time. They're going to lose fractions of time but they're going to lose time and they're less efficient than the stupid smart watches that you can get um for a dime a dozen but yeah. i don't think yeah. there's many people out there saying a rolex or patek philippe or any of the other like swiss watches with lots of history are junk and not worth the pursuit and to me what i like about what you two do is you're you're recreating this older technology but you're also, it's all history. Every time we talk, it's history. And I'm doing my research and I'm learning even more about these different things. Like I knew about the Enigma, but I went even deeper after talking with you and the stories that you told. And now with the the one that I barely knew about, this has opened up a whole new area of old school computing and and. There's this notion that you hear people say all the time, how did they build the pyramids? How did the Easter Island heads get there? How did they calculate? Just because something was in the past doesn't mean that they were ignorant, that they hadn't figured things out. Exactly. And this is proof. They figured things out. And it's amazing. There was a, yeah, um, on the contrary, just, they, they had more time and less distractions and they yeah. probably had clear thought, better food, better diet. They, you know, they didn't eat stuff that was had modified food starch and polyhydrocarbonated saturated hydrogenated fat. And well, if you, you want, you want to really go down the deep end. Since we are talking about Greece, there's another podcast out there called um, uh, the How to Eat This podcast, and he recently did a whole thing about yogurt and how yogurt was the transitional part of how humans were able to uh, tolerate lactose. And people say, oh, sure. we weren't made to, to eat lactose, but we did. We evolved. And for many cultures that are more lactose intolerant, yogurt is a prime staple in their, in their, uh, uh, in their diets. Just imagine, just well, imagine. The little, what critters, <laughs> little critters, you add to the milk, eat all the lactose, make the yogurt, and then you yep. put it on a gyros with some, some properly, cooked lamb oh yeah a cabbage and a pita bread boy you got it you got it exactly but just imagine just imagine what archimedes could have done with a 3d printer though (laughs) (laughs) yeah but there's a there's a movie an old 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 movie from the early 80s or late 70s i think um 
Uh, you guys remember the, the gods must be crazy where the Coke bottle yes. lands uh, somewhere in the savannah and like African tribesmen find a glass bottle and it completely throws their world upside down. But the narrator at one point says that, uh, you know, they knew of modern society and that ma- uh, modern man had invented all of these machines to make their life easier. But man was a fool because he then forgot how to live without his machines. Mm. Right. Yeah. Right. Let the yeah. power go out and look at the panic that ensues. Or, yep. or just the internet. Yeah. The internet goes down. Yeah. Or, or, or just one site on the internet, as as mm-hmm. I've seen a few times. Um, you know, the the uh, there have been a few times that there have been, you know, I don't know, Facebook is down, or Instagram is down, or Google, or I don't yeah. think Google's really yeah, Red, down. Reddit much. goes down for twenty minutes, and World War Three almost happens. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <is> snoring. <clears throat> yeah. That's what that was. My dog is snoring. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, t- tell us about the Kickstarter for um, uh, yes. for the Antikythera device. So, or open Antikythera. Uh, when's it go live? What, what's going to be available? What's going on? Okay, so we're launching uh, this Kickstarter uh, for this uh, first time. Uh, for this time, we're we we're taking a new approach, and we're going to be live at a convention uh, called the Vintage Computer Festival. And it goes in conjunction with the Southern Fried Gaming Expo. And uh, we're going to launch at that moment while uh, we do a uh, presentation on stage. So that uh, will happen on July uh, 29th, probably around uh, 2 in the afternoon. And uh, we'll see uh, the impact of, uh, of launching a, uh, a Kickstarter in a, at a live event. And where is uh, that con going to be? So this con is in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And at the uh, uh, Marriott Convention Center kind of thing, uh, Renaissance yeah. Hotel, and uh, they'll have every retro video game known. To oh, it, it's absolutely amazing! The every pinball machine or arcade that you've ever that ever existed is present, and they're all on free play for the whole weekend. So uh, I, I'm not a an arcade uh, kind of guy or a pinball. But uh, those folks are having the uh, the time of their life. It's uh, it runs uh, all day into until the wee hours, and uh, it's uh, it's amazing. And uh, the Vintage Computer Festival is uh, hosted by the Atlanta Historical Computer Society, and they're doing every year a fantastic, uh, fantastic job of uh, having all of uh, folks like us that uh, enjoy. Old computers and uh, old uh, uh, gaming uh, platforms. And anyway, so uh, our Kickstarter will have again uh, upwards of 15, 16 different uh, levels. So there's something for every uh, wallet size from our uh, unique uh, custom uh, created keychains that we do at the, at the low tier all the way to uh, currently our. Uh, Nicest one is our complete full Monty and wood box, and that's in the eighteen hundred dollar range. And then you got everything in between. But if uh, the Kickstarter is successful and we reach our uh, uh, higher target, uh, we uh, may do a full brass unit. So making making a true Atakatira device made with hundred percent brass gears. 
is uh, something we haven't tackled oh, yet. We have one no. one gear. We have one brass gear at the moment. One brass gear. And uh, but uh, hopefully, uh, if we have the success uh, we're expecting, then uh, we'll buy ourselves a uh, Wazer machine, which is a portable uh, water jet. Water jet. It's a tabletop water jet, and that would allow us to. Uh, That's what make, made this gear to make those uh, brass gears. They they demoed this gear for us to show us how it would come out and it's absolutely fantastic so of course uh, a unit made uh, full brass gears would be probably in the uh, you know three four thousand dollar range kind of thing well it contained probably eight hundred dollars for the brass maybe more yeah, yeah. brass ain't cheap but it's and it, cool and it would weigh 40 50 pounds uh yes the the weight is gonna be uh <laughs> yeah it's gonna be in a thing too but um Anyways, that's a stretch goal to make one out of brass instead of plastic. But Delrin plastic is almost indestructible. So, yeah. So the Delrin is a uh, brand name. The uh, generic name is Acetal. Yeah, and, it's a uh, Delrin's the. It's a Dupont, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a Dupont trademark, and Acetal is the uh, generic uh, product. And uh, yes, and we found it's a it's a little tougher to laser cut. Requires a little more power, uh, but... Uh, um, no, it doesn't require more total power. It's just a very different animal. Yeah. So Delrin, when you laser cut Delrin, you want to cut it at about the third the speed that you'd cut cut um, regular material. So I've got a... We've got a 100-watt CO2 laser sitting over there in the corner. And in one of the pictures, you saw the red front of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, I thought, well, I'm going to put this stuff in here. I'm going to crank my laser up to 90% power, and I'm going to tell them to cut it at 30 in, thirty millimeters a second and go. And Delrin says, eh-eh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I says, all right, you didn't want to cut. Well, smart butt. Well, let me turn the laser up to 100%. It's going to shorten his life, not terribly, but we're going to, you're going to go through. And Delrin kind of. It went through, but the Delrin looked like a marshmallow that had gotten too close to the campfire. Uh, Oof. And was, so- uh, years ago, the shop I was in had a, uh, we got a laser engraver. And there's, you know, a safety shield that goes over the top that, uh, you know, the laser will shut off if you open the shield. And when the, the technician from the factory was there setting up the machine and calibrating it, we asked him, it's like, hey, what's the craziest thing you've seen somebody do with one of these laser engravers? And he said that, the one place they installed it that somebody had um, disabled the safety shield and thought that the laser engraver would, would do a really, really good job of doing fingernail art. What? So, yeah. So that so. they had everything programmed. They put their hand down at the right spot, but they forgot to adjust the depth of the laser. So the thing just went straight through the fingernail into the nail bed, and they realized that that Woo! was a dumb idea. <laughs> wow! Every time you tell me that story, I just I, I feel Whoa. the pain. Yes. Any yeah. any wow. story that starts with so then I disabled the safety guards <laughs> sort of lets you know that it's not going <laughs> to end well. Well, we're in Georgia, and the the line down here is, um, "Hey, man, hold my beer and watch." Yeah, this. hold my beer. <laughs> you know the, the the old joke about the army. They say right that the the three scariest things you can hear in the army is a private who says, "I learned this in basic," an oh. officer that uh, a second lieutenant that says, "In my experience," or a, a senior NCO that says, "Hey, guys, watch this." 
but uh, ba- back to your back to your point about the the brass Antikythera uh, machine as a stretch goal. I would love to see it. My problem is that as an old soldier, if I see that much brass, I'm just going to want to polish it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It is what it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm guessing that you don't have to polish the Delrin. No, no. no. <laughs> Thank uh, God for that. <laughs> it's it's not going to turn green on you. I'm not a uh, not really worried about the brass turning green. We'll probably, if we do one in in pure brass, we'll probably take the clean brass and then we'll put a coat of um, a of lacquer on it. To oh yeah, that'll do. Keep the air off of it. I don't know, but uh, yeah. That mm-hmm. that is the thing is the brass eventually, but the real one you see how much it it tarnished. So. Oh yeah, well you know sitting at the bottom of the ocean for two yeah. thousand years. We'll do that to you. <laughs> Definitely got some green uh, undertones, but it was, was bronze a, actually, I believe. Yeah, I was at yeah. a I was at a high end pen show once, and uh, this manufacturer was making uh, brass pens. Caveco. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the German company Caveco makes a brass fountain pen. I like fountain pens. They're cool. And I'm looking at this brass one and the, uh, I go, yeah, but this is untreated. This is just going to tarnish. And the, the guy behind the counter goes, Oh, no, no, no. So there's a word for that. It's patina. I go, no, no, that's tarnish. I have to polish that. that <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you were saying, I'm sorry, we kind of got derailed there. You were saying that you had to cut the Delrin, um, a lot slower and you said what was that a third slower than anything any other materials yeah about a third slower you turn the turn the laser way down to 40 or 50 percent and you slow it down to eight millimeters a second or so and it just cuts beautifully what it is like brisket low and slow gotcha (laughs) yeah well when you make a brisket I don't know. I always feel ripped off because by the time the brisket's done, it's only a third of its original size. <laughs> yeah, I just did one last night. It, when I when I, when I put it in the smoker, I couldn't close the door because it was too big. And then you know, eight, nine, ten hours later, all of a sudden, it's you know, it's the size of a hamburger patty. It's like, what happened to my brisket? <laughs> yeah, but it sure is good. Oh heck yeah, yeah, it is, <laughs> guys. Yeah. Um. I can't wait to see. I, I, I want to wish you guys all the best with this Kickstarter. I want to wish you all the luck at the Southern Fried Gaming Expo when you guys present this live on stage. I think this is going to be incredible. Uh, you guys knocked it out of the park on your first two at-bats. I see a three-peat coming up with this <laughs> one. Um, and wow, what an ultimate desk toy to put on your desk and you know accurately predict the position of all the planets uh, just because a bunch of gears tell you to, and you know, to have the the ingenuity and the creativity to make it real and make it happen, and then make it free for everyone to make themselves. I want to thank you guys very, very much for the work that you do, and uh, and good luck. And I want all of our listeners to go to stgeotronics.com. It's all one word. You will find the link on our website, um, as we've done multiple times. Um, and we'll probably be sharing links to the Kickstarter on our socials, but please go check out these pictures that we were talking about at stgeotronics.com. And, um, yeah, is there anything special you'd like our listeners to know, um, before the, the Kickstarter goes live? Heck, Nutty. First, uh, I want to say thank you again for uh, hosting us. Uh, this is always a uh, pleasure and a moment uh, that we're looking forward to. Uh, spending time with you. 
And uh, I, uh, I really, really enjoy how you're uh, running your podcast and uh, you're doing, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Oh, and uh, no, I don't have any uh, thing. We're, we're open source. We uh, try to, uh, we're makers at first. So we think uh, about how we would like to be treated by uh, other makers. And uh, that's what we try to do. And of course, if you come across something that, you think should be made, you can always go to our website and there's probably a contact us button somewhere and you can let us know what you think ought to be made because we're always kind of looking for the next thing. Tech has provided us with two uh, suggestions uh, already. What what is the second image that uh, you shared? The second image is the, it's that Babbage different engine, but that one's made out of Meccano toys. Uh, ah, all right. Yeah, I, I I will say that um, I have a friend who was all about the Babbage machine engine, and he's like, "Ah, oh, it's the first. It's a mechanical computer. It's the first computer. It's the first computer." And now I just want to just send him a message and say, "Yeah, Antikira, well, check this a- out." Well, actually, well, actually. <laughs> so it's very got- exciting. <laughs> but anyways, yep. There's you got life goes on, and you got to do something. You have a choice of doing something or doing nothing. So yeah. might as well do something, right? And there's a, there's a lot worse hobbies than you know sit, sitting in your garage and re- reinventing old machines. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us. And um, to the listeners, uh, tell us, send us in some feedback. Have you heard of this machine before today's episode? That's what we want to know. How well how, did you know this before uh, we talked about it today? Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. Later. And before we go, I do want to thank our patrons, without whom doing two episodes a month probably wouldn't happen. And you keep the server going. You keep the lights on. You keep everything going. You are the reason this podcast continues when... Honestly, it feels really lonely being one of these indie podcasts when everybody else is part of some big network or corporation or whatever. But because I'm not part of one of those, I'm able to keep this podcast exactly the way I like it. So I get to do things like this today. But thank you so much to our top tier, our big daddies. Thank you to Jax. Uh, by the way, Jax, you might want to check out those conventions that you heard about in this episode. Uh, to Jason, to Rich the TT. And thank you to our patrons of the arts. Thank you to Kaylin, Mark, the encaffeinated one. Those are two separate people. Uh, Melissa, the Bathtub Mermaid, and Susanna. And thank you to all of our other patrons, our Again, the lifeblood of this whole Patreon campaign. Thank you to Shane, Selgador, Andy, Clifford, Grig, Harold, Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Crazy Joe Adventures, Mike, PCAT, The Radical Geek, Stephen, Will, and Zach Van. Thank you so much, all of you. You keep things going. You keep everything happy. And uh, yeah, you, you, you make me happy. So thank you for really uh, putting up with us and uh, encouraging us to continue doing this.
Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42. 